Well, good morning to all of you. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, I don't think the slide showed, but any students that uh, may have missed it, you are dismissed at this time, uh, grades 6 through 12. Uh, but it's good to have all of you here this morning. Congratulations to all of you. Uh, you made it through the first week of the new year. The first week of 2022, you made it. We did it. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Glad you're awake. You know, it's good to see some more of you this week. Uh, last week, our first service at least, we had a small intimate gathering, and that was nice. Uh, but that means that I missed a few of you, and not to guilt you, I just miss you sometimes. So, uh, you know, here at Gateway, we started off the new year in a really great way. We had baptisms at our Taze Valley campus and our St. Albans campus, and really that's what it is all about, seeing new souls give their lives to Christ. And uh, I believe that this year can be our best year yet, and my hope is that we will see many more this year begin with Christ. And last week we talked about the Apostle Paul's beginning with Jesus, how it was a beginning unlike anything other or any other person in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus, he was a successful man. He was on top. He was a staunch defender of the Jewish faith and a relentless pursuer of followers of the way, these followers of Jesus. And in the eyes of many, man, Saul was flourishing. He had all that he could ever want. But God had bigger and better plans for this man. Plans to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles all over the world. And Saul might not have realized it yet, but he was in need of a reset. And that's exactly what he got that day on the road to Damascus when he was struck blind and Jesus had a heart-to-heart with him. And from then on, things were different with Saul. You know, we all need a reset sometimes. Things start going a little south, a little sideways, and we need a bit of a reset in our lives. Now, I'm not sure how many old school 1980s Nintendo fans we have in the room today, uh, but when I think of a reset, the original Nintendo comes to mind. You know, back in the days where 8-bit graphics, they weren't retro, they were the best that you could do. Uh, Back when there were only four buttons on the controller, and it was a wired controller. There was no Bluetooth. It was, everything was wired. Back when the best way to get your game to work, when the green screen came up, was to pull it out, blow in the cartridge, and put it back in and hope for the best, right? And in those days, there were only two buttons on the front of the Nintendo. There was power and there was reset. And that reset button could cause a lot of controversy because it could be pushed as a result of really two causes and wildly different emotions would result. You know, back before automatic saves or cloud saves or memory card saves or really saves of any kind, uh, there were games like Super Mario Bros. 3 on the Nintendo, and that had no save system at all, which meant that you were forced to beat the game in one sitting, the entire game in one sitting, and yes, there were warps and different ways to help you get done quicker, but you had to beat it all while the system was powered on in one session, or you were forced to leave your Nintendo on for hours, days, weeks, whatever it was, at a time that little light would stay on on the power and you would just hope that nothing bad would happen. Because this was a very dangerous option, just to leave it on and walk away from it. Because what happens if the power goes out? What happens if your cat unplugs the system? Or what happens if your mom or that evil younger sibling does the unthinkable 
and hits the reset button, right? You, so much pain and anger, and I'm sure therapy, have been caused at the hands of the Nintendo reset button, whether it was done on purpose by your younger brother or on accident when your mom was vacuuming in front of the TV. All the work, all that work, you were on World 8 of Super Mario Brothers 3, all that work you put in is just gone. And by, but by contrast, now you have, that reset button could also be a necessary second chance on a game. I played a lot of sports games, and so a game like Super Tech Mobile, when Emmett Smith and his Dallas Cowboys were whooping up on you 35-0 to zero at halftime, he had 200 yards, you had thrown four interceptions, and, and your team, you know, they just didn't have it that day. Ah, but the reset button could change all of that and give you a much needed mulligan, a second chance at life. And it was, I mean, back in those days, it was hard to be realistic and just take your lumps and lose a game and not just hit the reset button any time that you were facing a loss. My belief is that many an undefeated season have come at the hands of the Nintendo reset button because you could just start over anytime you wanted. And it was like it had never happened. And you know what? Sometimes I think we all need a reset button as well. I mean, Saul certainly did because of the plans that God had for him. And today, I want to look at another strong man of the faith that was in need of a reset. Another man that God orchestrated events around that caused him to stop and change the path that he was on. Now, we first meet Simon Peter at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and Matthew, Luke, and John all record him as being one of the first disciples called by Jesus. And, And there's so much that we could say about Simon Peter. I really feel like he's the the most famous of the disciples. Uh, But he was also the boldest of the disciples. He was the only disciple with the courage to step out of the boat that night and walk on the water toward Jesus. He was the first to speak up and confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the truth, the rock upon which the church is built. He was ready to fight for Jesus' freedom when they came to arrest him that night in the garden, even going as far as cutting off the ear of one of the soldiers. Now, one of the things I've enjoyed most about watching through the Chosen series, which, quick plug, we start season two tonight, so we'll be here at six o'clock. We got free childcare, free popcorn. You should come out, okay? Season two, I hope to see you here. But one of the things I love most about the Chosen is their portrayal of Simon Peter. When you watch him, he is always concerned with the safety of Jesus, right? He's always looking around. Is Jesus okay? Are are the crowds getting too close? Are the Romans getting too close? Is there an exit? Is there a way out? Is everything going okay here? I mean, if Jesus had a secret service, Peter would be the head of it. He'd be talking into his wrist and making sure everything was okay. And, And you can see through all of this that he would eventually be the guy to cut off an ear, just trying to protect Jesus. Peter was so passionate. He loved Jesus so much. And even after Jesus was gone, Peter was the first to step forward and preach the gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. One thing was sure about Peter. He was passionate. But even the most passionate of all disciples can get off course and find themselves in need of a reset. Because for as passionate as Peter was, while Jesus was still on this earth, He still denied Jesus three times when it mattered the most after being told that he would do so. Even the most loving, even the most passionate followers of Jesus can get tripped up or get turned sideways 
and need to hit that reset button. And what was the reset for Peter? Well, Peter needed to reset how he viewed the Gentiles. And that's exactly what God set into motion in Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you this morning, will you meet me in Acts 10 and go through it together with me? Luke tells us that there is a Roman centurion named Cornelius who was visited by an angel of God in a vision. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about when you see angel of God, we can't just gloss over it. We can't just treat it like it's another piece of the text. I mean, this was an angel of God. And time and time again, when you see this in the Bible, the first emotion, the first thing that happens when people see an angel of God is fear. This is a big deal. And Cornelius, he was a God-fearing, devout follower. And so he knew how big of a deal this was. He knew how important this was. And Luke says that he was caught in fear when he saw this angel. And I suspect that you and I would be too. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision, Cornelius. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so here we see step one. This angel comes to Cornelius. And just like God brought in a supporting character for Paul last week, he's working ahead of Peter here. And just like Ananias last week in our story, Cornelius listens and obeys. He doesn't ask questions, he just goes. The angel doesn't explain the why, and Cornelius, well, he doesn't need it. Because faith requires obedience without an explanation, even when, especially when it doesn't make sense. And now here's step two of God's plan. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I mean, Peter knew the rules here, and according to Jewish law, he was forbidden to obey this command that had been given to him by the voice and the vision. I mean, this seemed like a little bit of a setup. I'm not going to do that. I've never done that. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now, the New Living Translation, it says that Peter was very perplexed by this vision. And and I'm not sure I can really blame him here. I mean, this is a a weird thing. It's a big thing. Uh, This vision had contradicted all that he had ever been taught going against his Jewish faith. He had walked around with Jesus for three years. He had seen a lot of things that were unexpected. Jesus had gone against the grain in a lot of ways, but even he had never done anything like this. But now, out of nowhere, this vision comes and and it tells him that all of a sudden this this is okay? Why, Why this, Lord? Why now? What's going on? And then, while he's trying to work through all this, three strangers show up at the gate and they start shouting out his name. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, verse 19, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Step one, the angel comes to Cornelius. And step two, Peter has this vision. Now they've come together and it's going to lead us to step three of God's plan. Peter travels with Cornelius' group and they arrive at his home the next day. And it looks like Peter has started to piece together what God was trying to tell them. Maybe this wasn't just about food. Maybe this wasn't just about hunting. Maybe it was about something more. Verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter's starting to work it through. Maybe there's something bigger at play here. Maybe God's trying to sell me something a little bit more. Cornelius responds by describing the vision that, that led to his sending for Peter. And he invites Peter to share with him and the Gentile crowd that was gathered there that day all that the Lord had prepared him to tell them. And so as Peter begins to preach, it all comes together. Verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Up until this point, Peter had maintained this belief that the good news of Jesus Christ was still only for the descendants of Israel, the people of the Jewish faith. But now Peter had had a moment. He had had a reset with the help of the Lord. And he now sees that he should not call anybody impure or unclean. He should not discriminate against anybody. For the Lord shows no favoritism. He has seen that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. And we are all equal in the eyes of God. And when Peter finishes speaking, the Holy Spirit comes on all that has heard this message, even the Gentiles. And this is a huge, incredible moment because this is the first time that it's been recorded that the Holy Spirit has come on somebody who isn't Jewish. The Jewish believers there that day, they're, they're astonished by what they're seeing. These people, they're speaking in tongues. They're praising the Lord. Clearly the Holy Spirit is there, but this has never happened before. This was such a shift in what had been taught and what had been believed up until this moment. And Peter, having just had this vision from God the day before, I'm sure he's still working through it all himself. He doesn't really completely understand, but he sees these Gentile believers in the Spirit praising God. Clearly, the Spirit is in them. And he says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And then he orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The barrier is coming down. The barrier is being removed. No longer is the good news of Jesus only for the Jew, but now also for the Gentile. The good news of Jesus Christ is now for all people. And the truth of God sending His Son to this world for the whole world is now coming to light. It's coming to understanding right before the very eyes of Peter and these Jewish believers. And these Gentile believers, what was previously kept from them, what had been, they had been previously told wasn't for them, the salvation through Jesus Christ is now available to them. 
this shift by God that first started with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and has now moved to Peter, it's changing everything forever. God is doing big things right here in the middle of the book of Acts because he had big plans for these men and for the world. Plans that affect even us today. But first, Peter needed a reset. He didn't even know he needed a reset, but God knew. Peter had been a loyal follower of Jesus. He was his right-hand man and even had taken the lead on starting the church after he was gone. But he needed a reset on how he viewed other people in order to accomplish the good works that God had set before him. He needed to have this reset. And even today, sometimes we need that reset as well. We struggle with this as 21st century followers of Christ. You might be like Peter. You are a loyal follower of Christ. You come to church regularly. You're in your Bible often. You've got a really good prayer life. As far as loving God goes, the vertical relationship between you and God, you are trying, to, trying every day to maintain and cultivate that relationship. And sometimes we do need a reset with that relationship as well. That's the reset that Paul needed. But it seems like more often we need a reset on how we view and love others, those that are around us, those that we interact with today, the horizontal relationships that we have. Sometimes we need a reset, or we need to reset how we view others, the others in our lives. See, that's the reset that Peter needed. And sometimes this reset, it requires us to ask tough questions of ourselves. Questions we might not like the answers to. Questions that we don't like to be honest about. Tough questions. Like how do we treat people who we strongly disagree with? Questions like how do we feel about the LGBTQ community? How do we feel about the pro-choice community? Questions like how do we view people who we feel are breaking the law and taking advantage of our system? How do we feel really about illegal immigrants? Questions like how do we treat people who are homeless and dirty, who are steeped in addiction and are unwilling to change? Questions like how do we really feel about people of a different skin color? Questions like how do we really feel about people from another religion, or even if they're Christians, maybe they have a different theology than us? Questions like how do we feel and talk about people from the other political party questions about how do we treat people who believe differently about viruses and vaccinations feels like all of us could probably use a little bit of a reset when it comes to the answer of at least one of those questions and in a lot of ways and for a long time christians have buried their heads in the vertical at the expense of the horizontal We've walled ourselves off in our church buildings. We've become more and more knowledgeable of the Bible, perhaps to use it against other people. And we pray that God would take me from this evil place and soon, please. All the while, there are people that need to hear the life-saving news of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't willing to love them and be with them and be around them, then we are knowingly allowing them to perish. Friends, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, as Christ loves us. Whether they believe the same as us or not, or they look the same as us or not, or they're from the same place as us or not, whether they look like us or not, all I know is it's a real struggle sometimes 
But that's what we've been called to do. And I'm reminded of a young man who was called to a place where he did not want to go. And he loved God so much. He was a devout follower of His. He would do anything he asked. Yet when he was called by God to go and mix it up with the people that he didn't like or he didn't agree with, he outright refused. See, unlike Paul and Peter, he didn't listen to God. He didn't listen to the heavenly vision for his life. He didn't take that step of obedience. Mostly because he didn't want to see those people saved. It wasn't fair. Why would I go to them, God? And so he chose to run from God. These people, these others, they were so evil, so despicable. God, do you understand what they're doing over there? Do you understand what they're like over there? Do you understand what they're saying about you? They're doing evil in your sight, Lord. Why would I go there? Why are you interested in them? They deserve what they're going to get from you. They would get the wrath that they deserve. This man, he was good on the vertical relationship, but he refused the horizontal. And as a result, how many people would have been deprived of salvation because of his refusal to try and reach them? Now, I don't foresee God sending a great fish to swallow us up when we refuse to go to the others that He has called us to, but I think that sometimes we're a little more like Jonah than we would care to admit. And if we're really honest with ourselves, when we think about the others from those questions earlier, there are times when we don't want to see them saved either. They can rot in their mess, Lord. They've dug this hole. They can get themselves out of it. In his book, What If Jesus Was Serious, Guy Jathani points out that the word judge has two meanings in the Greek language the same way it does in the English. And one meaning is to discern between things. And the other is to sit in a position of superiority to condemn. And for far too long as Christians, I think we struggled with seeing the difference between the two meanings. Certainly we can judge. We can discern the difference between right and wrong behaviors. We can judge that homosexuality or that abortion is wrong just the same way that we can judge that prostitution or adultery or murder is wrong. But do you remember what we said last week? said that we all come to Jesus in the same condition. We all begin with Jesus in the same place spiritually. Because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We all fall short of the glory of God. And remember that when Jesus walked this earth, He hung out more with the others, the people that were being shamed by the religious leaders. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Not to condemn them and not to let them rot in their consequences. And so sometimes I think we need a reset as a reminder to see others the way that Jesus did. As Christ followers, Paul says that we are called to speak the truth in love. Peter says that you are to defend your faith with gentleness and respect. And sometimes it can be easy to forget that. Because we can fall into the traps of arguments and othering that happens so often in our world today. Our culture seems to pull towards, you are either for me or you are against me. You are either my friend or my enemy, and nothing in between. And when we try to apply that to Jesus, well, it just doesn't mesh with the mission that he has laid out for us. And so for us as Christians, perhaps a better saying would be, man, if you aren't for me, I still love you and I'm praying for you. But a reset can only come if you realize your need for one. 
if you're willing to ask those tough questions of yourself. Because if Peter had decided that he was going to dig in to his belief that, that Jesus was really only fit for the Jews, he was not fit for the Gentiles, no, I won't do it, well, maybe a giant fish would have eaten him too. I don't know, it's hard to tell. You know why we don't have to, to speculate on that? Because Peter went for it. He knew that he needed a change in his thinking and his belief. And even, but even after that day, even after he, he went and he said, no more does God show favoritism. No more do I see that anything is impure or unclean. He was still a work in progress. Because sometimes our reset is an ongoing process. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about how he had to correct Peter when he, one day when the Jewish buddies of Peter, they, they came into town. And when that happened, as soon as the Jew, his Jewish friends came into town, he started distancing himself from the Gentiles that he had been hanging out with and teaching. And that caused other Jews to start distancing themselves from the Gentiles. And it threatened the work that had been done to reconcile and unify the Jews and the Gentiles under Christ. Work that Paul was so passionate about. See, even though Peter had had a change of heart, he still needed this reminder that your actions can speak louder than your words. Friends, salvation does not come from who you are or what you look like or what you've done in your past, what you've believed, what your parents believed. It doesn't come from where you were born. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, who is available to all, no matter who they are or what they've done. Peter told, Paul told Peter that we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We are saved through the blood of Jesus. Peter needed a reset. And God showed him that the Gentiles, these others that he had been avoiding, were clean targets and the targets of his love. God showed him that no one is impure or unclean, that no one is disqualified from the love of Jesus, and that he accepts people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue that fear him and do what is right. Peter needed that reset. He needed to see that, and maybe you and I need one too. And so this year, as Christ followers, let us resolve to live at peace with those around us. For as much as it depends on us, live at peace with those around us. This year, let us resolve to love us, those that are around us the way that Christ loves us. The way that we have been commanded to do by Jesus. Let us live the truth that we all come to Him in the same condition. That we are all sinners in need of a Savior so that we might show Jesus to someone this year who might not have been able to come to Him previously. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You this morning. And boy, are we thankful that You opened up the doors. That You opened up the floodgates. That no longer did it depend on where You were born for those that could have a relationship with You but that You so loved the world, the whole world, that You would send Your one and only Son, Jesus, so that those of us who are not of the nation of Israel would not perish but have eternal life. We're thankful as we read through these stories of Paul and Peter that they would take up the call 
that they would take up the mission to extend the gospel beyond just the Jewish people and on to the Gentiles so that we could sit here today and know that the blood of Jesus covers all of us. That nothing that you have created is impure or unclean. That you don't show any favoritism. That when you sent Jesus to this world, you knocked down the walls so that all of us could come to you. So Father, I pray that we would follow that example. That we wouldn't look down upon anybody because of what they look like or where they're from or what they believe. But we would truly believe in our hearts that all people can come to you. And yes, Jesus is is the only way to you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And only through him can we come to you. But all can come to him. His love is for all. And I pray that we would not try to play the judge in our world. We would not try to sit in a place of superiority to condemn others for for their behavior or for for their background, for their skin color, for their country of origin, any of these things, any of these earthly things that we would not try to judge people. But we would let you be the judge and that we would follow the mission of Jesus to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves the way that Christ loves us. Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning with that mission at the forefront of all the things that we do. That we would keep our eyes focused on your son Jesus. And it may be, it is going to be an ongoing process. We might need this reset button every week. But Father, I pray that we would have that in our hearts, the way we we look at and treat and talk to those around us, that we would unify, no matter what this world might try to, to divide us, that we would not fall into that, but that we would follow the unity that we find through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your immense love that would lead to you sending Jesus to this earth so that we could have the amazing grace that says all sins can be forgiven and we can spend eternity in heaven with you. Thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've come this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus already, I pray that you would know, you would hear the truth that it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who you are, what you might be wrapped up in now, it doesn't matter what you look like, that Jesus is available to all. That relationship is available to all. And yes, there might be exclusivity on who can get to the Father, that it's only through Jesus, but all can come to Jesus. He died for all of us. He defeated the grave for all of us because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. So if you don't have that relationship already, I pray that you would come and make that decision today something that stuck out to me the last two weeks on top of everything else is that as soon as these people believed, as soon as they were filled with the Spirit, they were baptized. Last week, as soon as Paul had his conversion, he was baptized. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, I'd ask that you come forward and we can baptize you in front of all these people and you can say, I'm a new creation and I'm going to walk out of here differently than when I walked in. 
because I'm going to walk out of here with Jesus as the Lord and the King of my life. And I want to show everybody here that I believe that and be baptized this morning, plunged into the waters and come out a new creation in Christ. So if you have a decision to make this morning, it's the greatest decision you could ever make and there's no better day than today to make that. I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you come this morning and you are just in an immense need of prayer, God has given us this gift of prayer to come to Him, to lay our burdens on Him, our, our cares, our anxieties. And I, So if you just want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Just involve God in whatever might be going on in your life right now. If you have a decision to make or if you just need some prayer, I'll be right down front. I just ask we all stand and sing our final song together.